0: Welcome to the Incredible Witness Podcast. Today's episode is titled, Testimony. I was watching a film last night, it was called The Gift. In the film, the main star, Kate Blanchett, had the gift of extrasensory perception, otherwise known as the sixth sense, a paranormal ability concerning the reception of information not gained through the accepted five physical senses of sight, hearing, taste, touch and smell but sensed instead as a, as a result of an unknown ability or sense of perception. She thus had the ability to see things or images that were far beyond what was possible via the visible, physical, recognised senses. Without giving too much of the plot away, Kate Blanchett, through her visions, was able to tell the police where, the, where to search for a woman who had been reported missing for several days. The woman's body was later found pretty much exactly where she had stated it would be, and the owner of the land where the body was found was charged with her murder. During the criminal court trial, Kate Blanchett was called to give evidence and was cross-examined. Whilst being cross-examined, the barrister made her time in the witness box highly uncomfortable for her by ridiculing the entire basis of her testimony. He was able to do this very easily because the claims she made were were statements that could not be corroborated corroborated or verified by anyone but her. And as so little is commonly known about the sixth sense, her evidence was viewed as highly unusual and controversial. Since no one else had her gift, although her claims were proven to be accurate, in a court of law the barrister cross-examining her revelled at rubbishing and ridiculing her evidence. Because her testimony because her testimony it, w- it was so far outside of the ordinary person's everyday life experiences and in, the, and in the absence of any supporting evidence, it could not be viewed as reliable evidence in the court of law. Her testimony was then conspicuous, since none of her claims could in any way be confirmed or tested beyond the fact that a claim in connection with where the body was found was accurate. As she was unable to sensibly or logically explain how she knew where the body was, beyond stating that she had a vision or visions which provided her with the exact spot where the woman's body was situated, her evidence was considered of no use at court. In court, for your evidence to be seen as convincing and believable, it has to follow a a reliable, verifiable and logically understood path that makes sense, complete sense, or at least is believable given the extent of the evidence before the court. That's why when presenting your evidence, you have to be able to to provide the court with clarity concerning specific essential information, such as the dates, time time of the day, location, and what you were doing before you received the information about where the body was found, how the information was relayed to you and by whom, what information or evidence you have personally witnessed whilst being physically close enough to view it, as opposed to being told about it by others. Alternatively, you have to at least have sufficient evidence that provides a reasonable argument about why your account or evidence should be believed. In the absence of any of this, as she could not explain via the use of of conventional sources of information how she had gained the information she had, her testimony was both ridiculed and rubbished during cross-examination. In essence, her evidence lacked credibility, in that it was devoid of anything that was recognised as clear, solid evidence or proof of any kind to substantiate her claims. It was, in a sense then, analogous to arriving at a correct mathematical answer to a question without being able to explain to any degree of satisfaction how it had been possible to obtain the answer. The film prompted me to think about how you arrive at the conclusion you arrive at when presenting evidence at the the family court, and got me thinking about the benefits of an exercise in reverse engineering how you arrive at your conclusion. In truth, it is not an exercise I have ever undertaken, but it is extremely useful to consider and reflect upon the information factors or evidence which you have relied upon to draw the conclusions you have. When you consider the harm a child has been exposed to throughout their life, the number and nature of those incidents, and the likelihood of that harm continuing to occur, it's vital to really understand not just how the child is being harmed and the likely impact on on their health and development, but the factors or causes, causes resulting in their harm, to what extent their source of harm can be alleviated or sufficiently reduced, and most crucially for the child, the estimated time period involved in this being achieved. It is essential, in my view, to not only be fully aware of the instance of harm, but to have formed an understanding of why and how this harm is occurring. In order to, be, to obtain clarity in this respect, it is necessary to gain insight concerning the thought patterns, behaviour and habits of the person or persons causing the child harm. When you understand the way the parent or caregiver thinks, feels and behaves and can link this up with events and incidents of harm the child has been subjected to, you are then in a strong position to explain the risk of harm in the future and are able to identify clearly the evidence you rely upon to draw the conclusions you have come to. Understanding the reasons behind a parent's harmful or abusive behaviour invariably involves gaining insight into their thoughts and feelings, beliefs, values, parenting experiences, childhood environment and circumstances. Armed with this knowledge, you are in a p- position to explain and predict the likelihood of, f- of, of harm the child will, ex- be, will be exposed to throughout their minority years in the absence of professional social work intervention. Your ability to predict stems from a basic truth that we are all creatures of habit, and as a consequence, very few people like to change or are committed to, to changing. In order for a parent to change the way they parent, they would have to first accept the need to do so, and then possess the persistence and fortitude to consistently follow through to make that change a reality. This is a huge issue of undertaking for any parent, because by the time they reach adulthood, they are the composite of repeated habitual patterns of behavior that have become so ingrained that they would have to have a very clear and huge reason to undergo change unsurprisingly very few peer- people are sufficiently motivated and committed to changing who they have become over many years due to repeated exposure to the family environment that they grew up in they tend to lack the, the insight required to recognise how or in what ways their behaviour can cause harm to their child. They are often literally unable to see the the harm they are capable of producing, and this is invariably the case because it is exactly the harm they themselves were exposed to as a child, which has now become, for them, normalised. However, in some cases, due to their love of their child, some parents are willing to undergo therapy, training, or courses specifically designed to improve the overall quality of care they provide to their child. When it is considered that this can be achieved within a relatively short period of time, i.e. usually within 6-12 to 12 months, then this vital work is said to be achievable within the child's time scales. This means that it is considered that instead of having to subject the child to, a dis, to the distress and harm of moving them from their home, that it is envisaged that it will be in the child's best interest to remain at home whilst the carer or carers undergo whatever support or work that has been identified as necessary to to be completed is done. In criminal cases such as occurred within the film, the court would seek to determine who was responsible for the murder of the woman, and those prosecuting would want to establish the suspect's motive for committing the crime they would also want to determine their whereabouts, around the estimated time the crime took place, and what forensic evidence could be gathered, attaching or linking them to the scene of the crime. In criminal law cases, the burden of proof that those prosecuting have to prove is that the facts are proved beyond a reasonable doubt. In the family court, the standard of proof is on the balance of probabilities. In family law cases, if you are assessing a parent's ability to offer good enough care to their child, you would look at any evidence of harm the child has suffered in the care of the, of the carer. It would be relevant to identify the extent of the harm. If it involves physical harm, the number of instances, bruises, or injuries. If the harm involves emotional, sexual, or psychological harm or neglect, you would document the distress and the impact or consequences of the harm the child has experienced. You would, gather relevant to the, you would gather evidence relevant to the parent's attitude, insight, responsibility, beliefs and views in relation to the harm the child has suffered or been exposed to. This information would be crucial in evidencing not only the harm the child has been exposed to and the risk of future harm, but also in determining their attitude and willingness to engage in any work identified to make necessary improvements within the child's timescales. When you have thoroughly assessed the parent's parenting capacity, you can pretty much predict what they will do and how they will react to certain situations. Your ability to predict is not because you are psychic, but because you have assessed the parent diligently, observed their responses, ascertained their beliefs, experiences and view of life to the extent that you are able to make accurate judgments concerning their behaviour. So when giving testimony or presenting your case, You want to have thoroughly reviewed and assessed all of the evidence so that you can confidently articulate in a clear, well-reasoned way that evidence that that proves your analysis to be sound and convincing. This cannot be done by guesswork or by arriving at a conclusion that is miraculously correct but has no evidence to support it. To give credible, credible evidence can be compared to the successful erection of a building in that the building has to have a solid foundation, its structure has to, has had to be stable and secure, so that for, for each so that each floor is well supported by the one below it, and the building can be said to be safe and sound. Your evidence then is is the structure upon which your arguments and conclusions are built. Without the evidence to prove your co- your case, your arguments would not be sound and could not stand or withstand the rigorous scrutiny of cross-examination. When you have assessed the parent fully, you can frequently predict the future accurately. You don't have to have the gift of of sixth sense to do so. In addition, you have all the evidence to substantiate or prove your case. Until next time.